this is part 11 of the series, and uh, this is the first time I've ever worn this shirt. I got a new shirt. This is a very special episode to me because I have learned that uh, a dear friend of mine who I haven't heard from in, I want to say, 20 plus years, um, we went to the same middle school, actually, we went to the same, like, uh, K through 6, whatever, we, we, went, we were in the same 6th grade, and 7th uh, and 8th, and, and uh, then we were going to different schools, but I still saw him now and again, and then at a certain point, hadn't, hadn't seen or heard or talked to him in a long time, but, but we were good friends back in the day. I think when we were, like, 12... We liked the same girl or something. <laughs> One of those things, you know. Uh, you remember, you, hopefully you're still watching the series. Maybe you got turned off. Uh, episode 7 wasn't so good. But for everyone else, uh, if, you, if you'll just allow me 10 seconds of inside uh, things. I just wanted to say four things. Uh, thing number one. My hair shirt, Laurent. Put it next to my birch. Thing number two, we love you. And uh, thing number three, um, we haven't got the lamb. And thing number four, of course, um, will you be? All right. Good to see you, Clayton. I'm glad you're enjoying this series. Um, but the series is about the book, so I'm going to stop talking now and just get to the book, and then I'll talk more later. Alright, so yeah, I'm basically going to leave off at the point where I went and started going on, yeah, about his absence from society. I'll just start there and uh, definitely I left off somewhere a line or two after that. These new values enabled the represent, oh by the way, if this is your first time seeing this, you might want to start, you can click the playlist from there and decide if you want to start with the first episode, or you can just pick your favorite shirt. You know, what, what shirt you want to see me wearing while I'm... Never mind. Okay. These new values, which ones? The values that you have to come up with to justify being uh, withdrawn from society, right? Or at least that's how I was reading it. Those aren't the exact words. Maybe I'm misinterpreting slightly. Those, these new values enabled, oh, by the way, I, speaking of misinterpreting, when I re-listened to the last one, I think it was the last one, and I was talking about, oh, well, he was using some early Christian thinker's name, not Carl Jung, but isn't that funny that this has Carl Jung on it? Well, that's because he was talking about a different book. I think it was the one, The Sermon to the Dead, that uh, we talked about in part nine, and then in part ten, it was still talking about that, but I didn't realize that that's what we were talking about. Anyway, just in case you were confused as well. Um, okay, anyway, so that was the one he sent to his friend Adolf Keller. And, uh, you know, wrote, oh, I didn't want to put my own name on it because I just received it and wrote it down. Like he channeled it, kind of. Okay, anyway. These new values enabled the separation of the collective. Individuation was for the few. Uh, those who were insufficiently creative should reestablish collective conformity with a society. Hmm. Now I feel called out for my writer's block. 
Um, not only had the individual uh, to create new values, he had to create socially recognizable values. Fuck that. Fuck that. That's my, that's my commentary. Fuck that. If my values aren't socially recognizable, fuck that. Fuck society, right? Mr. Robot. Sorry. Um, as society had a, quote, right to expect realizable values, end quote, F society. Sorry. Read in terms of Jung's situation, read in terms of Jung's situation, sometimes pronunciation changes depending on context and use, never mind. Read in terms of Jung's situation, this suggests that his break with social conformity to pursue his individuation had brought him to the view that he had to produce socially recognizable values as an expiation. I mean, yeah, okay, a lot of people run into that. Um, here's two examples, Padmasambhava and me. <laughs> so Padmasambhava was this guy who basically, long story short, one particular part of the story, thank you, Doggy. Oh, I, I missed you barking through my recitals. Anyway, um, he was born with all of his like knowledge from his past lives, right, supposedly. And uh, he just knew things. He knew all the teachings. He knew all the tantras. He knew all the everything, everything all the Vajrayana stuff. He just knew it. Uh, but people, when he was like a little kid, would be like, what are you, a demon? Are you possessed? Are you some kind of weird anomaly? I don't know if I want to be around you or let you hang around my daughter, you know. And uh, so he went and sought gurus. That's at least how he told Yeshi Tokyo, his, uh, his consort uh, in, in Tibet, the way that she remembered it was anyway that uh, Padmasambhava had gone to all these gurus and gotten all these empowerments and gotten the official recognition of different lineages and this kind of thing in order to be taken seriously so that when he went into a town and said, yeah, hey, I'm a monk, uh, I do stuff that monks do in 7th century India, right? Um, they would say, well, who, who's your teacher? And he'd say, okay, Vimalamitra, and then he'd list off his seven other teachers whose names I forgot, right? And then they'd say, oh, well, okay, you can hang out with my daughter, which, of course, was the goal, you know. Um, anyway, so in my case... <laughs> It was totally different. No, in my case, it was uh, after I left the cult, you know, I use the term accurately. Um, uh, I, I still was like into teaching esoterica and being a teacher and like, you know, doing ritual and, you know, this kind of thing. And so I thought, uh, I'll become a yoga teacher. <laughs> And uh, then that way I can stand at the front of the room and say, okay, everybody stand like this. Okay, everybody lay down and let me talk in a semi-hypnotic sing-songy voice and help you get in touch with your great oneness, right? So that I can continue my, uh, my way of life, uh, but have my values be socially recognizable as opposed to, you know, who are you? Oh, well, I'm an ex-member of this... Be like, I'm a yoga teacher. Now come on in, lay down. Right? Similar to what Jung is describing. Perhaps. Perhaps not. 
Um, read in terms of Jung's situation, this suggests that his break, right, we already read that, Edward, his self-experimentation had to result in a work that presented new values in a socially recognizable manner. I hope that they rephrase that another 17 times so that we don't move on find out what happened next. This, I'm being facetious, obviously. This led to a dilemma. Would the form in which Jung embodied these new values, you know, the irony here is half the time when you're doing some kind of weird metaphysical new agey shit and then someone serious comes along and like educated and academic and like not a flaky new age random hobo, right? Then uh, you can always explain yourself in terms of, oh, well, what we're doing here, you might say, is kind of a Jungian practice. And they go, really? I'm intrigued. Do go on. So... Thanks, Jung, for creating a socially acceptable category in which to do all the weird shit that you did. Sincerely. Anyway. Uh, right. I'll restart that sentence. This led to a dilemma. Would the form in which Jung embodied these new values... I forgot. Today, it's Haydn. Handle. I don't even know if you can hear it. Can you hear it? Yeah, a little. I mean, I wasn't asking you. I was asking you, not that guy. Okay, where were we? Yes, this led to a dilemma. Would the form in which Jung embodied these new values in Liber Novus be socially acceptable and recognizable? Moving on. The second talk was, quote, individuation and collectivity, end quote. Jung argued that these two states were a pair of opposites related by guilt. Uh, society demanded imitation. In analysis, quote, through imitation, the patient learns individuation because it reactivates his own values, end quote. It is possible to read this as a comment on the role of imitation in the analytic treatment of those of his patients whom Jung had now encouraged to embark on similar processes of development, period. Whew, we made it. The claim that this process evoked the patient's pre-existing values was a counter to the charge of suggestion. In November, while he was on military service in Hirisau, Harisau, Jung wrote a paper called, quote, The Transcendent Function. And, quote, he depicted the method of eliciting and developing fantasies that he later termed active imagination and expanded its therapeutic rationale in psychological language. Strikingly, there is no indication in it of the wider cosmological, metaphysical, and theological exploration that he himself was engaged with. Also, if you're like doing alchemy or something, you can say, oh, I'm, I'm recreating certain of Isaac Newton's experiments. People go, wow, wow, this guy's a serious, serious person that aligns with my atheist, ephemeral-centric values, right? Never mind. Um, 
He noted that a critical problem confronting analysis was the fact that the new attitude gained from it subsequent became, subsequently became obsolete. He noted, let me try that again. He noted that a critical problem confronting analysis was the fact that the new attitude gained from it subsequently became obsolete. Okay. You know, I, I okay. Maybe they'll explain, but I kind of get the idea of that, I think. Unconscious materials were needed to supplement the conscious attitude and to correct its one-sidedness. But since energy tension was low in sleep, dreams were inferior expressions of unconscious contents. Content. Sorry. Thus, other sources had to be turned to, namely spontaneous fantasies. There are few dreams noted in the black books. A recently covered dream book contains a series of dreams from 1917 to 1925. Close examination of it with the black books of this period indicates that Jung's active imaginations did not derive directly from his dreams, and that these two were generally independent streams. David Lynch has similar, uh, because uh, people assume after watching Twin Peaks or Mulholland Drive, they're like, so do you like dream this shit? He's like, no, I don't. I think there was one thing, one thing. Oh, I wish I could remember what it was. I'll let you know in a future episode if I do, but there was one thing that actually did come from a dream. But everything else, not so much. And so they say, oh, when you meditate, is that when you come up with it? And he's like, no, no, meditation is for expanding your mind. I'm using my own words, uh, into the unified field. And, you know, like a deep net, a fisherman's net, if you will. And then after meditation, you see what your net caught in it, kind of. Never mind. Um, he says it better than I do in that book that I showed. Catching the big fish. Close comparison, right? Jung described his technique for inducing spontaneous fantasies. Quote, the training consists First of all, in symmetric, systematic exercises for eliminating criterial critical attention. Hopefully the meaning of the sentence is coming across, even though every other word I get. Uh, critical attention, thus producing a vacuum in consciousness. I'll just read that again. This is a quote. The training consists, first of all, in systematic exercises for eliminating critical attention, thus producing a vacuum in consciousness. All right. All right. Are we all visualizing a nice Hoover vacuum cleaner? Good. End quote. One commenced by concentrating on a particular mood and attempting to become as conscious as possible of all fantasies and associations that came up in connection with it. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Like, if you're angry, you can easily remember everything there is in all of your life. All, every memory, every day of your life. Everything, you can list out all the things there are to be angry about. But when you're like, blissed out, you're like happy, like, what is there to be happy about? Oh my God, the sun, the sky, 
breathing, my wife, cookies, organ, whatever, you know, like. Similar with other emotions. Okay, the aim was to allow fantasy free play, but without departing from the initial effect affect in a free associative process. This led to a concrete or symbolic expression of the mood. I kind of personally liked, sorry to be interrupting so much, but I like to find that space between free association and like directed active imagination, I guess is what you'd call it. Just as far as, uh, as far as writing, I mean, um, used to have a little bit of random element, you know, like, anyway. This led to write. This led to a concrete or symbolic expression of the mood, which had the result of bringing the, aff the affect affect nearer to consciousness, hence making it more understandable. Merely doing this could have a, a vitalizing effect. Individuals could draw, paint, or sculpt depending on their propensities. Okay, so this is one of those things where the margins shrink and the font shrinks. So we can presume it's a, a quote probably from Carl Jung, but it might be St. Augustine. We don't know. Hopefully it will become clear in time. Visual types should concentrate on the expectation of an inner image. What? Visual types should concentrate on the expectations that an inner image will be produced. It's not St. Augustine. As a rule, such a fantasy image will actually appear, perhaps hypnagogically, and should be carefully noted down in writing. Audio-verbal types usually hear inner words. All right. Perhaps more mere fragments or apparently meaningless sentences to begin with. Others at much time, at such times, simply hear their other voices. Still rarer, but equally valuable, is automatic writing, direct or with the planchettes, planche, planchette, P L A N C H E T T E. All right, now we're back to Sonu. Once these fantasies had been produced and embodied, two approaches were possible. Creative formulation and understanding, each needed the other, and both were necessary to produce the transcendent function, which arose out of the union of conscious and unconscious comments. For some people, Jung noted it was simple to note the, quote, other voice in writing and to answer it from the standpoint of the I, not in quotes. First time I wasn't in quotes, I think, because there's a colon after it. And there's always like, what do you do when you want to put I in quotes and then put a colon after it? Do you put the colon inside the quotes? That looks ridiculous. Do you put it outside the quotes? That's technically, grammatically, I don't know. So maybe that's why. Moving along, um, quote, it is exactly as if a dialogue were taking place between two human beings, dot, 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 end quote. Dialogue led to creation of the transcendent function, which resulted in a widening of consciousness. His descriptions of the use of inner dialogues and the means of e evoking fantasies in a waking state 
match his own undertaking in the black books. The interplay of creative formulation and understanding corresponds to his work in Liber Bruno Rus, which contains both elements. In 1917, Jung published a short book with a long title. You ever see Blame It on Rio? The Psychology of Unconscious Processes, an overview of the modern theory and method of analytical psychology. In his preface, dated December 1916, he proclaimed, The psychological processes which accompany the present war, above all the incredible brutalization of public opinion, the mutual slanderings, the unprecedented fury of destruction, the monstrous flood of lies, and man's incapacity to call a halt to the bloody demon, are suited like nothing else to powerfully push in front of the eyes of thinking men the problem of the restlessly slumbering chaotic unconscious under the ordered world of consciousness. This war has pitilessly revealed to civilized men that he is still a barbarian. Four dots. But the psychology of the individual corresponds to the psychology of the nation. What the nation does is done also by each individual, and so long as the individual does it, the nation also does it. Only the change in the attitude of the individual is the beginning of the change in the psychology of the nation. The great problems of humanity will never be solved through general laws, but always only through the renewal of the attitude of the individual. Yes and no and yes, I'd say. The first yes was perhaps back then. The no was, dude, like, come on. You can't blame, like, some cool beatnik hippie hanging out on a, on a, on a, whatever, beanbag chair, smoking a doobie at Burning Man for, like, interventionist military actions via drone strike. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a stretch, right? Um, so that's the no. But then back around to the yes, is if by the individual, you mean like such an all-permeating, saturating transformation of the consciousness of just everyone to the point where the five fucking billionaires that are actually running whatever nation it is you're talking about are actually influenced by the, uh, the, 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 the mental shift in the individuals of the 99.99% of the rest of the population. And that's a stretchy yes. So, yes, okay, I guess, maybe back then that made sense. No, I don't think it does anymore. And yes, but under very extenuating circumstances, so extenuating that it kind of 
nullifies the point. So I can acknowledge that Jung wrote this and I can acknowledge that it made a lot of sense at the time that he wrote it, but I could understand, I could see how a lot of people would have a knee-jerk reaction against it. All right, moving along. Uh, war made visible the chaotic unconscious. Is, the quote is finished. Jung isn't talking anymore. This is so new, talking about everything, right? Um, while, collect, while collective events could release the demons of the unconscious, the only resolution lay on an individual level. In a language that recalled William James's essay, quote, the moral equivalent of war, end quote, he asserted, quote, every individual needs revolution, inner division, dissolution of the prevailing and renewal. This would be achieved through self-realization and a return to the individual to the, the return of, and a return of the individual to the, quote, ground of the human essence, <clears throat> end quote. Understood in this manner, it's sort of like if you think that, uh, that the message of Christ was so powerful and good that it transformed Emperor Constantine from a heathen pagan to a God-fearing good man with happened to have power. If you think that, then this makes sense. But if you think that he cleverly said that he had had these visions and had all this big conversion process because he looked out and he saw that he was going to lose control of Rome if he didn't do that, then this makes less sense. Because nothing changes, ultimately, when it comes to nations being shitheels. It's just a matter of who has the most power and how much shitty stuff can they get away with in what form? Is it diffusion of responsibility, thinly veiled as uh, uh, democracy when it's actually oligarchy? Or is it just a straight up autocracy? And either way, then you get to take sides about, oh, well, you know, at least we're on the side of a thinly veiled oligarchy and not autocracy. So that makes us the lesser of two evils. So... The good guys? Never mind. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go ahead and... Uh, okay, where was it? Uh, we left off after this quote and... Uh, yeah, William James's quote. Right. So I will pick up there when I return. So I wanted to throw this one in here. I mentioned four days ago that I was going to be taking a break for four days. I'm going to be taking another break. This is today is the 17th, and I will be gone until the 24th, because as I've mentioned before, the 21st is my birthday, so we're going to go on a small vacation, very small vacation. We're going to be staying in, uh, in the capital of Goa. Uh, we, we, we first moved to Goa in 2020, as soon as we were allowed to cross state borders, um, and then we lived here for couple years and then but but we lived in North Goa then we went back to Delhi to take care of some stuff and then we came back and now we're in South Goa and but sometimes we go to it's like South Goa is like Northern California and uh, North Goa is like Southern California if that makes sense very, very loosely so North Goa is where all the stuff is going on 
and where the music is and where all the restaurants, shops, people, tourists, foreigners, and people from all over India are just crammed in there uh, having a good time on vacation. That's the Hawaii, the Honolulu part, right? Um, South Goa is like, a lot of it looks very similar to what I imagine how it might have looked 100 years ago. Except 100 years ago, if you wanted to celebrate a Hindu holiday, you would have had to ask the Portuguese for permission. And now you don't. So now it's like 50-50, Catholic and Hindu. And there's Muslim and a few Sikh and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was a lot more Catholic under the Portuguese. But anyway, the, the point being it's very like sleepy. It's very like, it's tropical, there's a beach, but like, it's not like a big tourist trap in South Goa. So we kind of like it here. But one place we've never spent any time, because I mean, when we came to Goa, we were looking for like green nature. And so the capital is like, well, there's big bridge and there's all these signs and there's all these big fancy boat, casino boats and, and uh, everything's very like hectic. There's a lot of people, but there's also really cute parts and historic parts and uh, a lot of interesting restaurants and stuff like that. And we just have never spent time there in all the time we've been in Goa. So uh, this year for my birthday, we're going to be staying um, for eight days. How long is that? Tomorrow, 8th until 24th, yeah. No, six days. Uh, we're going to be staying for six days and celebrating my birthday there. I'll be turning 45, can you believe it? One day I'll be like, oh yeah, that chicken philosophy. I think I started that when I was 44. Okay, so um, again, good to see you, uh, my old friend. And uh, good to see everyone else. I assume there's other people. And uh, until the 25th or so, or 26th, I bid you 